Gumbo listeners, this episode is brought to you in part by Is your business prepared for disruptions caused by severe weather, user errors, or ransomware attacks? With Quorum, you are ready. And your business won't miss a beat when the world around you seems to be falling apart. Visit Quorum.com, Q-U-O-R-U-M.com for more information. Welcome to Data Protection Gumbo, the podcast where we cook up a delicious blend of cybersecurity, privacy, and data protection topics to serve you a hearty bowl of insights. Whether you like your gumbo spicy with a dash of encryption or prefer a milder flavor with a side of compliance, we've got you covered. So grab a spoon, sit back, and let's dive into the pot of data protection gumbo. Welcome to Data Protection Gumbo. I am super excited to launch a new episode for all of the Gumbo listeners out there. So super appreciate you tuning in once again. Thank you so much. I have a special guest today, Jason Laurie, and he's the founder and CEO of Architecta, a quantum physicist, artist, software sculptor, and innovator. Uh, He's also inspired by the arts and the unencumbered freedom of imagination and creativity. He has also turned the concept of a data platform that could underpin the impending data age into a thriving data management software company. Founded in 98, Architecta has become a global technology enterprise with a reputation for solving data management problems that others cannot solve. Jason, welcome to The Gumbo. How are you? Good afternoon, Demetrius. I'm well. Thank you for inviting me on. Awesome. Super excited to jump into this conversation where we will be diving into all things data and data management. So why don't you start off by giving us a rundown of Architecta and the company and how how it all got started? Yeah. Architecta is a quiet company. It's been on the dark side of the moon for probably... 20 years. We haven't done any marketing. It was started in 1998. Uh, I joined forces with my wife, who is a contemporary dancer and choreographer, and the idea was to combine the arts and uh, technology. That's really the foundation of the company's name, Architecta, so both architects and software and architects in space and people and movement. In 2002, we set out to build a product, one that would handle the impending data age. I think in the mid 1990s, I could see that the world was going to be underpinned by data at scale. And the objective really was to provide single platform for managing data, both structured and unstructured, all forms of data. So traditionally, we had uh, structured data maintained in a database and your unstructured data, typically files or the actual uh, non-tabular data maintained in external file systems. And those two are not the same. My view was that they should be brought together and we need to handle things at scale. We need to work with scales that are going to get up into the trillions. Yeah, so you're talking billions and trillions of files, especially when you're when you're breaking it down between structured and unstructured data. If you don't mind, maybe a, a brief history lesson on the difference between structured and unstructured data, just so the Gumbo listeners have an idea of what we're talking about here. In reality, there is no such thing as unstructured data. All data has some form of structure, otherwise it would be white noise. But traditionally, structured is your tabular data in in a relational database. That's uh, tables and rows and columns that now stored in NoSQL databases, etc. Your unstructured data is what you would typically consider in a file system. So files, your 
gene sequence, your video, your audio, etc. Those are the, the bigger things. But of course, they all have structure. It just uh, it's becoming to common use that the unstructured is the, tab is the bigger stuff and the, uh, the structured data is the tabular data. So that's, that's where that uh, difference comes from. And of course, the structured part is often what we refer to as metadata in a, uh, in a data management world, information about the data itself. Right, data about the data, right? And there's also data about the data about the data. <laughs> so there's meta, meta, meta data. <laughs> yeah, and so this is a super like amazing time that we're in right now because data is coming in from all different types of endpoints. Uh, I remember it was big data and IoT, and now we are in this cloud cloud world where you have all these public cloud vendors, and I mean it's just a super exciting time. So. Data, of course, is skyrocketing, and we've been hearing that for, what, 20 years now? Uh, the data is not getting any smaller, and you see the reports on if you, were, if you were to stack data up, it would reach all the way to Mars or some astronomical uh, crazy statement from that perspective. But obviously, you have tons of conversations uh, with, let's say, C-level executives about data management and some of the challenges that, that they have, just trying to wrap their arms around all of the data that they're dealing with uh, from an application perspective and also within databases, et cetera. What, what would you say is probably the number one conversation that you are having with these C-level executives about their data? Actually, let me start by saying this. This is the most exciting time in my life, being a data person. It's the most exciting uh, time for us. We're actually in the, what I call the data age. Everything uh, is being driven by data, both for good and for bad reasons. So I want to concentrate on the good reasons. The most important conversation we have with people is a really simple one. What data do you have and what would you like to do with it? And it's as general as that. And how would you like to leverage it or how do you think you might like to leverage it to optimize your business, to optimize your research, to make an impact? That's the conversation that we start with. And that goes in all sorts of directions. Often people think about data management as the storage of data. Lots of storage vendors know they need to go up the stack, uh, get higher. So they're selling commodity storage. The file systems have not changed really in the last uh, decades, ever since they were invented. They're very similar. And there's some advantage in that because they're consistent. But really, a file system is a place, is it just a repository for data? It's what you do with the data that's important. So you want to go further up the chain. So the conversations we're having around the acquisition of data from some point, the transmission of it, the long-term preservation, the transformation. If you think about the storage technologies that we have, I think Amazon S3 came of age in 2006, hasn't been around long prior to that. There wasn't S3. There will be something else in uh, another five years and another decade, but the data will often outlive those technologies. So we're going to work out how we transition from one technology to another. Some of our customers have been in the data business on paper and other for a few hundred years. Those are very long scales. We've got customers now that have got data, uh, digital data that they've been holding for uh, 40 years. And so the scales are changing. We have a very broad conversation with people. Great. And since since we are talking data, we, we are we obviously have to have a conversation about keeping that data secure. And there are certain things that are out there, you know, running rampant like ransomware, and then you have 
you know, accidents and, you know, things happen with data, right? Data's lost, it may be corrupted, and there's all different types of challenges with data. What are you seeing just from an overall uh, keeping data secure perspective? Is there a, a trend with conversations that you are having just around keeping the data safe? I think we're seeing things that need to change, and we're having conversations that bend that bend the normal into or the accepted uh, path into a new realization. Let's start at the beginning. I was, when I was at university, I had a little accident. I uh, deleted eighty thousand words of my aunt's manuscript. I did RM E colon star slash star. Absolutely everything gone. Absolutely terrible uh, position to be at. That's what got me started on this path in the first place, to be able to wind back those sorts of uh, accidents. Wind forward to now, we look at the need for protection. We traditionally think about backup, uh, and backup is uh, has traditionally been a process that sits outside of the data path. You've got separate systems for backing your data up. And those systems will scan the data source, or maybe if they'll connect into the change logs or they'll be specific to the, uh, uh, the, the storage technology and pick up deltas, but they're essentially outside of the data path. When you're outside of the data path, you can't handle tens to hundreds of petabytes of data. And, you, and those backup systems that we have are not really things that you consider as big data platforms. They're not designed to handle high churn rates and huge amounts of data. And what the consequence of that is, is that we've got backup systems that are running behind always late, not in, immediately in tune with the changes that have gone on in the data path. And that's a problem. It wasn't a problem, <laughs> uh, but it now is a problem because we've got so much change. And we've also got, as you said, the advent of cyber criminals and people trying to take advantage. And you may, the things that you save now and in the last five minutes or may be incredibly valuable. And if, if you've got a traditional backup system that's running once a day, or doing snapshots every uh, two or four hours or whatever, you're going to lose everything that's happened in between. And so they're, they're quantized. And I don't think that's acceptable anymore in an age where um, we can't afford to lose data and there's so much, so many people trying to gain advantage. So we need to, we're having conversations with people around rethink uh, how your storage works or your data system works. Don't think about file systems and backup. Think about systems that you store data in, in one protocol or format and get it out, perhaps in decades. Uh, and also think about your resilience strategy. We really want, the ideal objective is to have an RTO, recovery time objective of zero, preceded by a recovery point objective, that is how long it takes to get back or how far back you, you, you will lose data of zero. That's the holy grail. And so we're changing conversations. Yeah, I, I love that. And you, you, you brought in the old backup terms that we, we normally use, the RTO, RPO. Have you heard of 321? No. So keep three different copies of your data on two different types of medium or storage, and then um, one in a different location offsite. All right, so the way in which I frame that is it's really important to have genetic diversity that's three different types of storage, or, or maybe three is not enough. For certain data, you might need five copies. If it's your Nobel Prize winning research, additional copies may not be enough. Genetically diverse and geographically stable and write once, read many, truly write once, read many, or disconnected storage, yes. That's exactly the sort of thing we set up with people. And we also note that you, you have to have a zero trust model, and that is you can't 
you must assume that your administrators will run amok uh, at some point if you've got really critical data. So you need systems in place that say, in order for someone to delete or, or tamper with data, they need approval of someone else, or there are replicas of data that are, uh, are moved uh, off-premise to another site where that's managed by a completely different uh, set of people and we don't replicate the deletes from one site to another. So zero trust, really important. Right, and you have to be like super organized, right? Because if you are storing multiple copies of data in different locations and you have to keep be aware of the compliance and regulations that are out there, there are a ton of them depending on what industry you're in, like financial services or healthcare and life sciences and all these different these different uh, regulations and industries that are out there. What are you seeing just from a, a compliance perspective that are out there that some of your clients are dealing with, uh, especially when you're talking, you know, petabytes of data and, mil and billions of files? Okay, there's a couple of things we uh, see. One is the, the rules such as GDPR that govern the right to be forgotten, and that's the equivalent Californian law. So that someone's storing my data, I should be able to ask that all of that's gone. So to do that, you need to know where it is and you need to know exactly which storage devices it's on and you need to be able to prove that you, that you are keeping track of it all and you've got rid, gotten rid of it. The other thing is, of course, if you've got uh, technology or IP that you own and you sell that to somebody else, you need to actually get rid of all of that. So from a governance point of view, and if you've got data breaches, then you need to know, know where the data is to see what the impact has been of a breach. So to do all of this at scale, you, you can't use a file system. You can't use just simply object storage. You need systems that sit above this that manage the data and, and provide lots of metadata that you can query. If, I don't know about you, but if, if I can have trouble keeping track of things that are on my laptop, that's a very small amount of stuff. Yeah. A few terabytes, billions right. of files. A hum billions are beyond human scale to keep track of. So you need systems to provide insight over this and to codify the rules, the business rules behind your operations. So that's what a data management system does. Awesome. And you, you, mentioned, you mentioned backup systems and I used to be a backup administrator several years ago and we definitely used to have a problem when we were backing up, let's say hundreds and hundreds of thousands or even millions of files in large databases, right? It could take hours and sometimes days to back it up and even longer to recover it, depending on where that data was stored, because back then it was stored on tape. Uh, so we would store it on physical tape and make a copy of the tape, take it off site, put it in a vault somewhere and have to recall that tape back on site. But now we've, we've morphed into the modern world where data is sitting in the cloud and so the the tape has been virtualized kind of just placed geographically across different regions and availability zones etc but when you're talking these billions of files being able to keep track of where all these files are like within a database right what what type of database can really scale to billions and trillions of files because I know you have your oracles out there you have some oracle I mean some open source type databases what, what do you what do you see or what do you think is the best way to store and keep track of all the the data about the data you've hit a nail on the head the core of being able to do this is to have the right uh, database so when we set out uh, with this platform to start with we built it on relational database technology. I knew it was the wrong thing to do. I knew it wouldn't scale and it 
and it just doesn't scale. The right technology <laughs> is the technology that we built. So we created our own database. We're a first principles company. We write everything from scratch. Uh, we write all of our own network protocols. We write all of our own file systems uh, pro uh, protocols, the, the web server, the database, absolutely everything. The database that we've created is, is it handles trillions of datums. It's a very compact, uh, high performance form of no SQL. So uh, uh, we were developing this at about the same time that there was the rise of uh, no, no SQL databases. But that doesn't mean that you would actually say, okay, I'm gonna go and build a data management system on a NoSQL database. It's all about the data structures that are in, inside, inside those uh, systems. So uh, no two databases necessarily are exactly the same. Um, and it's all about the data structures. Now having built your own database, we have infinite flexibility in terms of the kinds of data structures that we build. So our database combines uh, objects, record, keeping track of objects with metadata uh, and uh, spatial, just a geospatial and time series, uh, all in the one database. That's often those uh, time series is a separate database uh, to your uh, structured data and, and perhaps your uh, geospatial, but this is all in the one. And then we use that metadata that we extract to drive the life cycle. So here's an interesting example that we work with. If you've got uh, surveillance drone footage, uh, that uh, often actually will contain uh, telemetry information. So it'll show you where the camera is looking on the, so if it's a, uh, you know, a military grade uh, surveillance drone, look, looking on the ground, you'll see that the tie points, you know where the, ca the camera is heading, you know the angle to the earth, lots of metadata in there, you know precisely where it is. A surveillance drones generate terabytes to petabytes of data. So how do you deal with that? What we will do is actually we'll pull that telemetry out and extract the metadata and uh, and install, manage the video on, in the right tier, the, the, the lowest cost for you uh, at the right time, multiple copies, all of that happens uh, automatically. Mm -hmm. right. And the metadata then we use to drive the following. Show me where all of the imagery is that, uh, that has a good line of sight of the doorway on this building at over a certain period. And we have all of that metadata from the video in the database, we go into a query, we pull out just the right segments of video and then uh, bring those together to perhaps actually put into a photogrammetry pipeline to produce 3D imagery. But in terms of data management, we can then do things like this. Might say, okay, I want to keep all imagery that intersects with uh, this, these geospatial extents, these uh, regions of, on the earth, but, I, but all the other stuff I don't want to keep. So push that to lower cost storage automatically or delete it completely, but just keep the stuff that intersects with this boundary of this country or this region plus or minus 200 miles. Now you're in the, now you've got a data management system. It's aware of the, the data. It's using the metadata that's got out of that to drive the life cycle. And you may also use that to drive your resilience strategy. So you might say, these things with this metadata, I need to keep uh, three duplicate copies of but this stuff over here, I don't really care. We only need one extra copy and maybe this stuff we don't need any at all. Yeah, and I was gonna ask you about the resiliency aspect of a database that large. Like, what if something goes wrong or something happens to the database? How are you keeping that resilient? Is that stored in multiple copies or you have AI built in on the back end to say, hey, if, if we get an error here, do like a self-healing error sum checking type of uh, process. Yeah, okay, so 
uh, things do go wrong. So the trick with this is to have enough redundancy in terms of meta information in here to be able to recover if something does go wrong. You get bit rot. You, that happens in a database as, as well as it happens uh, in stored files. Uh, or data tapes, yeah. Actually, you said uh, ta tapes have been virtualized. We still work with a lot of uh, uh, tapes, actually. I don't think they're, they're, they still exist. And the beauty of a tape is that it, the recall time for those is uh, in the orders of minutes. Uh, and uh, if you get those streaming, we had one system moving data at 65 terabytes an hour to and from tape. There is no way you're going to do that <laughs> with the cloud yet. How many drives were, were doing that at one time, though? Uh, we, we had, uh, yeah, that's true. I can't remember exactly. We had, <laughs> we had 13 nodes driving that. But it, it, it depends on your scale. So what we do is we mirror the database from one node to another. So if you've got a storage, a failure in the storage system that's storing the database, that's good. And we can go over to the other node, so that's shared nothing. We also have the ability to replicate data from one database to another, so not even using the same database, but actually two complete databases maintained in parallel uh, so that uh, they're completely orthogonal systems. I think about this a lot. <laughs> you don't want to be the person that gets woken up in the middle of the night and says, We've just lost uh, 40 billion files or 100 billion files, and we don't know what to do with it. So resilience in the, those databases are, are absolutely key. And we've got a number of other tricks uh, to make sure that there are things maintained in plain text files along the way that if you absolutely every wheel fell off, you could go back and reconstruct what you've got. That would be painful. <laughs> it, would be, it would be painful, but you have to accommodate for that because that's the way I sleep at night. Mm. Uh, is, uh, is knowing that there are multiple ways of uh, recovering. Of course, you've got your traditional backup. If you think about this, there are a trillion objects in a database. Uh, in our view, so if you think about the inode in a file system, they might be a couple of hundred bytes. Some file systems have uh, 1K kilobyte per, per inode. If you've got a trillion objects, that's 1K equals a petabyte. Same for us. So in our database, with all of the indices that we have, a typical uh, storage uh, size that we allow for about one kilobyte per object. That allows you to do also fast searching, mm -hmm. etc. So that actually produces a database of a petabyte for a trillion objects. So for that, actually, it's really hard to back it up. So you have you'll have to shard this up and distribute it around different nodes. It sounds like I remember working with MongoDB and Cassandra and Cockroach DB as well with that same like node architecture. And I mean, I I, I forgot most of most of the stuff, but yeah, it just sounds like it it has to be a super open and scalable database that can, you know, kind of replicate itself. And, and, and but, what, but what I see as the future, though, is self-protecting, self-resilient data. So the data will be aware of itself and protect itself with some type of AI. As soon as it's written by the application and it's automatically taken care of everything that we worry about. So I, I know we're not there yet, but then maybe there, may, there might be some things in the works right now on that. Well, somebody has to make the AI in the first place to come up with the rules to do that. And it means you need to be semantically aware of every, every uh, type of file, but that's possible. The machines work uh, much faster yeah. than us. Of course, there are people that create their own file formats that you don't know about. I, I think we're gonna use AI a lot more. I think AI, a bit of AI is overblown in terms of its capacity to do things. It's the next wave. I note uh, in the early 2000s, we were in a space that everybody wanted to build data management systems. And then that wave has sort of gone on and now everybody's in the sort of AI space. But the important thing is, 
AI is driven by data. You need data to drive machine learning and AI. So our, our game is to get it from a point of acquisition, whether it's a plane in the air, from, uh, from somebody generating a file, from a gene sequence, from an office document, wherever, and, and get it over to those systems that do, do the analytics. And those analytics produce derivative data which you want to keep track of right, and you want right. to be able to uh, pull all this together. There's a problem with the research or uh, that's well known is that experiments that were done or research that was done a decade ago are often very hard to reproduce mm -hmm. uh, a decade later. It's called uh, vanishing science or diminishing, mm, etc. Okay. So research organisations are really trying to figure out how to solve this problem. And the way to solve it is to keep as much contextual information i.e. metadata in a data management system as you possibly can that allows you to completely reconstruct how uh, an ex the experiment was produced or, and reproduce it along with the relationships between all the data that was produced. I digress. <laughs> well, th this has been all super insightful and I know I've learned quite a bit just around scaling, scaling systems and being able to store, you know, billions and maybe even trillions of of files of data and information and to make sense of it all. Uh, but one final question before I let you go. What, what's on your nightstand? What are you reading these days? Ah, that's a funny question. I'm a producer, not a consumer. Okay. That is, I'm more likely to write something and write uh, and uh, conceive of ideas and produce it than, than, uh, than read something. If I, but I've got all my uh, interns reading things and I get them to read, read the, uh, the Lean Startup ah. uh, by Eric Ries. Okay. Uh, to, it, because it's it trying to actually get the, the notion of being agile and thinking ag in an agile way, uh, especially in the IT industry, we look at scrums and all that sort of thing. We look at process more than the fundamentals of what uh, leads to agile thinking. So I get people to read that. Nice, nice. I um, truly enjoyed the conversation and I'm sure the Gumbo listeners also will take some nuggets of information away as well. So we really appreciate the time that you've shared with us and the insights. And also I want to mention for the Gumbo listeners to join our LinkedIn Backup and Recovery Professionals group. There are over 25,000 backup and recovery and security and storage profession, uh, professionals in that group. So if you don't know about it, go check it out. Just search for backup and recovery professionals in LinkedIn. Join the group. There's lots of great conversations going on there. And until next time, Gumbo listeners, stay, stay safe and make sure you keep that data resilient. Thanks very much, Demetrius. I've really enjoyed the conversation.